1: Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Raising Daughters. Dr. Tim Jordan here with another podcast, which I hope will aid in your parenting to add some more tools to your toolbox to raise your awareness, help your understanding of your kids, what they're going through. And this particular podcast is about you, about parents. It's about parenting styles. I couldn't figure out what to call the podcast. At one point, I had written on the top of my notes how to not screw up your kids. I thought, "Mm, that's a little negative. So I think what I'm going to do is call this podcast How You Parent Matters A Lot. I heard a story one time about these two dads that were at a pub one night having a drink. And they're sitting there talking about their kids and their families and all the stresses and things. And one of the dads had four kids and his friend looked at him and he said, hey, if you had to do it all over again, would you have four kids? And the man looked at him and he said, you know what? I think I would, just not these four. That's how it can feel sometimes in the middle of the, of all the chaos that comes from having a family. And I think things have changed a bit. I think people used to raise their kids more in accordance with the traditions of their culture. Like they'd be around their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and people of that sort. And they could pick and choose from watching what those people did. Pick and choose from the different traditions that they saw around them. So what was once a matter of experience has become more a matter of expertise. We tend to rely today more on experts and less on relatives. I'm not saying it's all bad, but I do think it's different. I remember my Uncle Al telling me, and Uncle Al had, I think it was eight siblings, and they were first-generation immigrants. Uh, His mom and and dad were Italian. They came over uh, as young people. Anyway, every Sunday, all the kids, and there were nine of them, all of them would go to their mother's house for dinner, a big old Italian meal. And the kids would come, and it was this big ruckus, I'm sure. But those are the kind of things and times where you could watch And learn and watch how things remodeled. I think our parents today, young parents, might be missing some of that. Because number one, sometimes their parents and grandparents aren't alive anymore because they're older and older as they have kids. I think these quote unquote older parents today, older meaning in their thirties, I think sometimes they feel more pressure to do it right. They read more books, they go to classes. It seems like they might be more intense than they were in the past. Plus, there's only one or two kids that most of them have and they don't have six or eight like in my family. There's eight. I had uh, seven siblings. So, you know, there's just all that to spread around. But when I have one or two. It's sometimes there's more pressure to do it right with that one or two kid. It's also true. I'm going to talk about this more in a in a subsequent podcast. But It's also true that's that people are having a little bit harder time getting pregnant today because of in, and there's increased levels of infertility. More people getting in vitro fertilization. Uh, for lots of reasons, which I don't want to get into in this podcast. But there are a lot of couples today who wait a while and then have to wait longer because it's hard to get pregnant. So they're older when they have their kids. And I think that does affect their parenting. But in this podcast, I want to focus more on how you parent and less on when you parent. I'll talk about the when part in another podcast. There's a couple of main styles of parenting I want to talk about today. And they're labeled a lot, lots of different things. But Authoritarian, authoritative. authoritative, authoritarian parenting is what I like to call autocratic, more old school. I heard about a little boy one time was in school and the teacher was teaching the math and she turned to me and said, Johnny, if you have five dollars and your dad gives you five more, how many dollars do you have? And Johnny said, five dollars. And the teacher said, you don't understand your math very well. And Johnny said, and you don't understand my dad very well. Authoritarian or autocratic parenting is characterized by high demands and low responsiveness. Uh, There tends to be a lot of rules that are just kind of handed down, top down, high expectations, but oftentimes lacking warmth and nurturance and feedback. Kids don't feel as supported. Authoritarian parents tend to rule with an iron fist they're oftentimes described as being strict, strict, demanding, cold, critical, punitive, and I like to use th- that term top-down. Authoritarian or autocratic parents tend to, uh, when, they, when kids make mistakes, they tend to be punished more harshly. If there is feedback that occurs, it's oftentimes negative, uh, punished by withholding expressions of affection and love. Yelling and corporal punishment and or spanking are also very common. Authoritarian parents oftentimes use punishments with little or no explanation. They don't give kids much choice or they don't give them any options. And if kids say, well, why do I have to do that? The answer tends to be because I said so. Going along with, with that old generation's mantra of kids should be seen and not heard. Authoritarian parenting tends to be associated with obedience and success with, uh, and, uh, and they value conformity. Obedience and conformity are important. Some kids who have been parented in this way display more aggressive behavior outside the home. Others may be more fearful or overly shy around other people. They may have more difficulty in social situations because of a lack of social competence. Kids raised by authoritarian parents tend to conform easily, but they may also suffer more from depression and anxiety. So if you're around parents where it's strict and top-down and yelling and spanking, some feelings that may come up for those kids in those kinds of homes are things like anger, being afraid or intimidated by their parents, frustrated. They may feel stifled or controlled, overpowered, hurt. They become more dependent. Their, Their creativity and their autonomy, their individuality may be stifled. They may feel a, bit, a little bit more distant because they end up shutting down a lot. So if you've been yelled at a lot, if your parents are on you a lot, critical, a lot of times kids may decide that they're not good enough, that they're not creative, they can't do it by themselves. They may decide that they're, they're more dependent and they need other people to show them how to do things because when they try to do it their way, they got yelled at or punished. The world tends to become more black and white. And there's one right way to do things, and that is the parents' way. I think they end up lacking uh, trust in adults. They may think that they're stupid or dumb. And I think a lot of times they decide that they're not cared about or important or loved. And because of those feelings and because of those decisions, it affects their behavior. They do become more dependent upon other, other people. They're more needy for praise and direction. They oftentimes are not going to take risks because they're so afraid of being criticized or for failing or making mistakes, which brings about bad things like being yelled at or punished. They've learned to look outside of themselves for their sense of themselves. They tend to give up more quickly if they get frustrated or challenged because they're so afraid of getting hammered. They tend to need more frequent affirmation. And I think because of all of that, it affects their relationship with their parents and they'll be less likely to share. And so you become less of an influence, not more. On the subject of spanking, I've been working with parents for 30, 35 years, and I've always been someone who has never agreed with spanking. At all. Ever. Never. And I want to tell you why a little bit here with some research. According to a uh, general social survey done between 2002 and 2016, that was conducted by the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago, 76% of men and 66% of women aged 18 to 65 agreed that a child sometimes should be spanked. And that is disturbing to me. That was all the way through 2016, despite all of the research, people, the majority of people still believe that it's okay. Spanking and other forms of severe discipline, things like verbally berating your kids, humiliating kids, have repeatedly been linked to behavioral, emotional, psychological, and academic problems. There is a large body of research showing that those kids who are spanked do worse in school, they have lower achievement, And because of all that, the American Academy of Pediatrics concluded and they issued a new policy statement in 2018 that strengthened its stance that parents should never use physical punishment. There was some research published in the Journal of Family Psychology in 2016 where they found that spanking was associated with increased risk of 13 detrimental outcomes, including things like aggression, antisocial behavior, impaired cognitive ability, mental health problems like anxiety and depression, uh, and more rebellion. Another study done uh, in March of 2021 by the Psychological Science Journal. The research team analyzed more than 1,000 pairs of twins that included 400 identical twins, and many of them were disciplined differently by their parents, and, and they found this research. And the researchers found that the the child who was hit or yelled at more often was consistently more likely to display delinquent or antisocial behavior. Spanking was associated with more aggression, more antisocial behavior, more externalizing problems, more internalizing problems, more mental health problems, and more negative relationships with their parents. Spanking was also significantly associated with lower moral internalization, lower cognitive ability, and lower self-esteem. And the largest effect that they found on kids for, uh, was for physical abuse. That was what caused the most uh, deleterious effects. The more kids are spanked, the greater the risk that they will be physically abused by their parents also. There's such a large body of research that this is not just one study from this year. This has been going on for years they all come to the same conclusion, which is that it's it's not a good thing to spank your kids for all the reasons I just I just mentioned. Let's move on to a different kind of parenting that people call authoritative, or I, I sometimes would call democratic because it's easier to say. Let me tell you a quick story that might demonstrate it a bit. American-born painter Benjamin West was about seven years of age when he was put in charge of his infant niece, while his mom went out for a walk one day. So he was fanning flies over the crib, and the baby was laughing and giggling. And Benjamin was so taken by that that he grabbed a pen and paper, and he began to work trying to capture the baby's charms and her smile. Just as he finished, his mom returned, and it kind of caught Benjamin off guard. So he tried to hide his drawings, but his suspicious behavior, of course, drew his mom's attention. What have you been doing? She asked him, and he... He begged his mom not to be upset as he handed over his drawing. She looked at it and she said to him, My goodness, it looks just like your cousin. The following year, his aunt sent him a box of paints and canvases and Benjamin went to work and he disappeared the next morning with his supplies and he forgot all about school. His mom was really upset at first when she found him in the attic and was about to scold him when her eyes fell on the drawings he had been doing all day long. Instead of reprimanding him, she picked him up and covered him with kisses and she promised to explain to his dad what had kept him from his studies. Later on, when he was a very famous artist, he was often heard to say, It was my mother's kisses that made me an artist. So authoritative parenting or democratic parenting is a more autonomy supportive parenting where parents recognize and they're more sensitive to their kids' needs and desires they let their kids take the initiative, they follow their lead, they respect their child's perspective, they encourage their kids to experiment and take risks, they encourage creativity and out-of-the-box thinking. They, they'll sit and play with kids but follow their lead and they're, and they're more like a play-by-play announcer as opposed to someone who's getting their hands in there and telling their kids how to do it the right way. Democratic parents give their kids more choices and decision-making. They let kids solve their own problems and think critically about the reasons behind the rules. They support their autonomy. Parents remain and become and remain safe and stable bases. Parents are emotionally warm and they're close and they're nurturing. And they keep long-term goals like self-control and self-motivation and self-responsibility and self-determination at the top of the heap. That's more important than yelling at your kids to get some short-term compliance. They're much more likely to discuss and explain their rules to the kids and get their kids' input. And therefore, kids end up perceiving their parents' requests as being fair and reasonable and thus much more likely to cooperate. Let me tell you a quick story about giving kids choices. I remember years ago when my daughter Kelly was, uh, I think about in maybe kindergarten or first grade, it was a, a, a time of the year when it was cold outside. I think it was like January and her class was going on a field trip. And so my wife told her that, you know, maybe she might wear her winter coat cuz it was cold out, and Kelly wanted to wear her new purple windbreaker that she had gotten for Christmas. And so instead of getting into a major struggle, we we just said, you know, it's up to you. It's cold outside, you do it, you know, you do what you think is right. So she wore a windbreaker and she went on this field trip and she froze her little butt off. And when she came home, she, uh, she said something about it being cold today. We just said, oh, yeah, it was pretty cold out. So we didn't make a big deal of it. And it was so funny because the next morning we walked down the steps and there was Kelly out on our front, front porch waving her arms around. And we looked at her and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just checking on the temperature. So we had let her make an age-appropriate choice. And she learned from it, which is what kids do authoritative or democratic parents will listen to their kids' thoughts and their opinions, their needs, their perspective. That doesn't mean they always give them what they want, but it just means that they'll listen. They may end up saying, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just not okay with you doing that. But they don't just hammer them with a no. I remember one time when our son TJ was in, I guess it was middle school. He was was playing hockey and I was one of the assistant coaches on the team. And it's hockey is a long season. Tryouts used to be in August, and the season wasn't over till kind of middle March. And so, um, at the end of the season, he said he wanted to play spring hockey because everybody in the team was playing spring hockey. And so, he had also signed up already for spring baseball because he loved baseball also. And our family, at some family meetings, had decided all together with everybody's input that we were only going to do one sport per kid per season because all of us valued downtime and family meals and all that. So we reminded him of our agreement that, you know, only one sport a season and he, he, he kind of complained and what about this? And all the kids are playing spring hockey. And, and we said, I know they are. And we're still not willing to do that because we together as a family in a calm, cool, collected moment had decided together one sport a season. I remember him crying, but he ended up going along with it. Um, And it's interesting that fast forward years later, he was kind of most of the way through college. I remember him saying to us one time that he was so glad that we hadn't allowed him to play one sport, just one sport, like hyper-specialized, you know, early on, because he had played so many different sports. He played basketball, he played soccer, he played hockey, he played um, baseball in the spring, And because of that, in college, he played all these intramurals. And he was pretty good at all those. He said some of the kids who played one sport, he said they couldn't play these other sports because they just had never been allowed to do that. So that one came full circle for TJ. Democratic or authoritative parents are more nurturing, more forgiving after mistakes. Uh, They'll monitor and they'll discuss and invite input on the standards and the agreements at home. Authoritative parents value development of self-control and self-responsibility much more than obedience. Cause the kids who are taught to obey, because if, if not they get hammered, those kids always need an authority figure there with a reward or a punishment. A stick or a carrot, a stick or a carrot. Otherwise, you know, they don't know what to do. They're always looking like is this right or wrong based upon that, as opposed to having internalized what's right and wrong. They're way too dependent upon a stick and carrot to to guide them with their decisions. And if the stick and carrot are not there, oftentimes they misbehave. When kids perceive their, their parents' requests as fair and reasonable, when they've been given input into the agreements, they're more likely to comply, they've been part of the solution, they have ownership of those agreements. Which is why, when our kids were young, Ann and I, my wife Ann and I, we would run weekly family meetings. And in those meetings, we would sit around and talk about agreements at home. And we invite everybody's input and everybody's thoughts were equal. Now, in the end, my wife and I had the final say. But within that circle of of reasonableness, the kids would go back and forth. And we did allow them to to have input. And we had to learn how to do give and take and to create win-win solutions. That is an invaluable skill for your kids to learn in your homes. Those family meetings were one of the very best things that Ann and I did as far as our parenting because it went along with our more democratic, authoritative style of parenting. Kids who are growing up who grow up like that are much more likely to internalize their reasons for behaving in a certain way, and they thus achieve more self-control, which is really important. I remember I read years ago an interesting study about a couple in Germany during the Holocaust, Samuel and Pearl Olinner. They were not Jewish, but they had risked their lives during the war to save Jews during the Holocaust. So someone went and interviewed them and studied them because they were looking for, wonder what was different about them that allowed them to stand out and to do what they did and risk their lives. And one of the things that they found was that people, not just Sam and Pearl, but Uh, other non-Jews who had uh, risked their lives to save Jews, that they were parented differently than the people who didn't do anything. People who risked their lives tended to have parents who disciplined by giving more more explanations of why behaviors weren't okay. They used that more democratic parenting model that relied on explaining, advice, and reasoning, and that communicated respect, and it implied that their child had known better or understood more they probably would not have acted that way. That we have faith that you're going to improve and develop. We have faith in you. Those explanations that those parents gave enabled their kids to develop a code of ethics that end up usually being pretty much the same as societal expectations. And when they weren't in alignment with that, their kids learned to rely on their internal compass of values as opposed to external rules. These parents... Also, help their kids be aware of the consequences of their reactions and the effect on other people. So if they made a mistake, they directed the attention to the the distress of the person who they may have hurt by their actions. And that fueled their empathy and guilt and it strengthened their motivation to do the right thing and avoid that mistake the next time. The other thing that stood out about parents, the way people who... um, Risked their lives to to save Jews during the Holocaust. The other thing that uh, came out about the way they were parented was that their parents had them reflect on victims who had suffered an injustice, to think about them and to notice them and to empathize with them, them. because that made them become people who were much more likely to speak up when they are activated, but activated by what people call empathetic anger. The desire to do to right things done excuse me, the desire to right wrongs done to another person. They had internalized social responsibility from their parents. They had taught their kids to respect all human beings, not just the ones who are like them. Kids who were brought up in that kind of a model, the authoritative, democratic model, they tend to feel more close to their families, more loved, they feel more calm, creative, competent, they feel supported, more independent, confident, proud, curious, motivated. And because of those feelings and the experiences, they tend to decide that they are creative, they're competent, they're good enough. They decide it's okay to take risks and it's okay to make mistakes because mistakes are just opportunities to learn. They they also, they know that from experience that my parents are there if I really need them, but I have the freedom to go out and try things on my own. They decide that they feel supported, that they can make things happen, and that they can overcome challenges because they were allowed to. And because they decided those things about themselves, the actions and behaviors that followed with those kids who had been brought up in more democratic homes was that they were much more willing to take initiative, more willing to take risks. They continued to go to their parents for advice, to bounce things off of them, to be a sounding board. They became more cooperative and collaborative. They had healthy coping skills. They had good problem-solving skills. They were motivated to persevere. They became more fully engaged in their passions and their work because of the autonomy. They had higher achievement. They had higher executive functioning and pro-social behaviors. They had the lowest risk for psychopathology. They oftentimes then, because of all of that, shared more with their parents. They became more empathetic, kind, and warm people who had respect for adults, other people, and and also for the rules. And they had learned to do the right thing because it was the right thing to do based upon their internalized moral compass, not because of fear of punishment. That reminds me of, of reading years ago about Kohlberg's Stages of Moral Development. And there were six stages, and I kind of Change them a bit because of what I had noticed with with kids and people. So I these are these are Tim's <laughs> six stages of moral development based upon Kohlberg's meaning. You, you choose to do the right thing because, and the stages go kind of be going from kind of uh, low ethics to higher ethics. So a low level of moral development would be that you do something to avoid being punished. That's a low level of motivation. And just above that is you do something because you're going to get rewarded for it. I heard about this little girl one day who showed her dad a $10 bill she had found in the street. And her dad said, are you sure it was lost? And the little girl said, yes, I saw the man looking for it. Low level (laughs) of moral development. So the first two stages are very external. You do the right thing to avoid punishment or to get a reward. The third one is also a very external one, which is, I do something to please other people or to not disappoint them. Oftentimes, we overvalue that, and especially in our girls. A lot of girls end up complaining about the fact that they find themselves becoming pleasers and making too many choices to not disappoint parents and teachers and coaches. That's a a lower-level reason for doing things, because it's not about what's right for them. The fourth level of of Tim's stages of moral development is you do something or you do the right thing because the rules say that you should. Even though rules are not always there, are very clear. You do it because it's a rule. Which is a problem sometimes when the rules aren't fair or the rules aren't just. Fifth stage of Tim's moral development is you do things because you're considerate of other people. You get in the shoes of other people, you see things from their point of view, you consider their needs, and you have you think about the needs of the whole community, not just about you. That's a higher level of, of decision-making, a higher level of moral development or ethics when you're making decisions based upon other people's needs as well as yours. And the highest level is you do things because you're following your personal code of ethics and behavior. You do the right thing because it's who you are, and you've internalized that from all the experiences I've mentioned before, especially for those kids who've been parented with the more democratic, authoritative parenting style. A couple more points to make before I close down here. I read a study that was done um, a couple years ago. And for the past 70 years, actually it was since 1946, I believe, British researchers have followed the lives of over 70,000 kids, 70,000 kids, And they're looking at, how do you raise successful kids? And they determined that successful parenting simply requires being engaged with your kids, getting them to bed on time, and reading books. This study, that went on for over 70 years, found that the biggest factor in a child's success was how warm and engaged the parents were. The more the parents were interested in the child and the more quality time they spent together, the more likely that child was to be happy and successful later on. Things like talking and listening to my kid, responding to them warmly, teaching them their letters and taking them on trips and visits, all were beneficial. But their research showed that the best way to engage with their kids was by by reading to or with them. And kids who, who, uh, who read more before the age of 10 went on to become much better in school. But more importantly than their grades in school was that they felt they were um, more successful in a lot of ways. They were happier kids because their parents were warm, nurturing, and spent time with them, and especially reading books. And all of us can do that. I also think we need to be very aware of what we're focused on. There's been some good research that, sh- that shows that... Um, when parents, um, when they're, with their parenting, create an excessive pressure to excel in their kids that their kids don't do as well. I heard about this boy one time. He said, hey, here's my report card, Dad, along with one of your old ones I found in the attic. And the dad said, oh, well, son, I guess you're right. This old report card of mine isn't any better than yours. I guess the only fair thing is to give you what my dad gave me. <laughs> That's not what the kid was expecting. (laughs) Excessive pressure to excel is an environment characterized by extreme pressure to succeed and to outdo everybody else. And that has negative effects uh, such as high levels of stress, later alcohol and drug use, higher levels of anxiety and depression. And that pressure can come from parents, coaches, school counselors, the whole college process. So if that's part of your parenting style, pressuring your kids about grades and all those kinds of things. I think you need to step back and redo that. There's also been some good studies about whether you value character or whether you value achievement more in your home. There's a study that was done a few years ago that looked at 500 affluent middle school kids. And they asked the kids to rank the values that they thought their parents prioritized. And the middle school kids who believed that both of their parents valued character traits more than achievement exhibited better outcomes at school, they had better mental health, and there was less uh, rule-breaking behavior than their peers who believed their parents were primarily achievement-minded, focusing more on achievement. And I find that is true in way too many families. And the kids who fared the worst reported that their moms placed a higher value on achievement than character, and they were also critical. That old authoritarian model, that old um, autocratic model. And those kids um, could get anxiety from worrying about keeping up with or outshining their peers. And many of them got depressed because they failed to achieve. So make sure that's not part of your parenting style as well. So be, be aware. Step back from your parenting style. Take note. Take inventory. Are you more autocratic and more authoritarian or are you more democratic and authoritative? Um, I would stop spanking I would stop yelling. I hear people say sometimes, I, I pick my battles. It always makes me think, well, why are you at war with your kids? I think, it, I think you should step back and remind yourselves that a more democratic parenting style, which is healthier for your kids, will give them more say-so and more control. You give your kids more power appropriately, and because of all of that, you avoid those power struggles. You can step back and teach your kids to see the big picture. Start to teach your kids to start thinking about people outside of their their normal circle. Encourage your kids to consider the perspectives and the feelings of other people, especially people who might be more vulnerable. Help them develop some simple ideas for taking action, discussing engaging topics about other people's hardships, like different experiences of kids in other countries and communities, and the need for systemic changes instead of just individual people changes. Always be really aware of your modeling. I had a wonderful story one time about this family where there was eight kids and they had a beautiful vegetable garden in their backyard. The tent in the back that uh, butted up against their yard was populated with people who used to throw their trash, like old shoes and all kinds of junk, into their garden well, and the family was upset by that because it was affecting their vegetables and the kids wanted to tell them off and get revenge, but this mother had a different tactic. She had her kids gather lilacs and other flowers from the garden and give each of the dozen families around them a bouquet and to say that their mom thought they did enjoy them. And somehow a miracle happened. No more pollution in their garden. Watch what you're modeling. Be fully present. We've talked about that in in previous podcasts. Don't be half there and half not there. When you're with your kids, put your phones down. And stop being distracted by messages from, from work and or being internally distracted by worries and fears. Do your very best when you're with them and playing to be fully present in those moments. Sometimes people ask me if I had to advise one thing for, the, to, uh, for parents that would make them um, to be successful parents. I oftentimes respond with an answer that they didn't expect. Because what I say to them is, do your own personal growth. Let go of any limiting beliefs, past experiences, or past feelings that might interfere with your parenting. Because a lot of times we, we have a, a good sense of what we sh- want to do or what we should do in a moment with our parenting, but then old feelings and old stuff gets triggered and then bam, we're more, we're more angry and more reactive than we would have been if we had been stayed calm. I had two older brothers growing up that, that bullied me a fair amount. And so I ended up with a daughter and then two sons and the boys were four years apart. I remember sometimes the old, our older son was a little bit rough with John, our younger son. He, he wasn't bullying him, but just was kind of, you know, a little bit rough. And I had to be very conscious of not overreacting and hammering the older, my older son because of feelings that, that were getting triggered like, oh my gosh, I don't want him to do to my son what was done to me. So I had to be very aware, very conscious of my stuff so it didn't come up and interfere with my parenting. Because my story did not belong in their story. And that's true for each and every one of you listening to this podcast. Don't allow your old stories and feelings get triggered and then be be put into the middle of a picture of your parenting with your kids where it doesn't belong. I would spend more time thinking about your style of parenting. It helps to read. It helps to go to classes together if you're married, which I I think is invaluable if you're learning together. My wife and I used to teach a parenting class. It was a five five or six week class. We haven't done it for a while since we got so busy, but it was so valuable when couples would come together. So don't overcomplicate it, but I would become educated. I would become more aware of what how you're parenting. I would start doing things a little bit different if you become more of an authoritarian, autocratic parent. Let me leave you with a story. This is a true story, but it's not about a parent with their their children. It's about a teacher and her students. This involved a university professor who sent his students out one day into a Baltimore slum to interview 200 boys and then predict their chances for a successful future. Now, these kids were living in poverty. Uh, it was They were living in tough circumstances. So again, he sent these his students out to interview them, these boys, and then to predict their chances for being successful in life. And these students were shocked at the poor conditions that the boys came from. And they predicted that 90% of the boys would someday spend some time in prison. 25 years later, the same professor sent another class to find out how the predictions had turned out. Of the original 190 boys interviewed, only four had been imprisoned. So the question was, how did these boys overcome their adverse conditions? And it was interesting what their answers were. More than 100 of them remembered that one high school teacher, a Miss O'Rourke, they remembered her as having been an inspiration in their lives. And after a long search... Their old teacher Sheila O'Rourke was found. When they asked her to explain her influence over her former students, she was puzzled. All I can say, she finally decided, is that I loved each and every one of them. It reminded me when I reread that story. It reminded me of the Harry Potter movies, where Dumbledore tells Harry that the most important thing is love. It's also the most important thing for your kids. It's not always about techniques or strategies. It's about it's about loving your kids, being there, being fully present, so they know that they're loved and cared for. And that when they're stuck or when they're hurting, that you're there, and you're there at 100%. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Hope it helps you to stir up your thinking about the kind of parent you want to be and what kind of parenting style you'd like to incorporate with your parenting. Um, for information about my weekend retreats re, re, weekend retreats coming up in my summer camps just go to the website www.drtimjordan.com like drtimjordan.com all kinds of information there all my previous blogs and podcasts are in there my the six books I've written etc etc so also our online courses or you can find information about those always feel free to pass these on to your friends uh, I really do appreciate that I'm getting more and more people listening to these podcasts. And I know a lot of it is because because of my listeners are being so kind and passing them on. I will see you back here in a week. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping by.